This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Malik Yawmiddin. Allahumma laka alhamdu wa ilayka al-mushtaka wa bika thiqatu wa alayka tukulan wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al-aliyu al-azim. Rabbi shrah li sudri wa yasir li amri wa hal uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأن تجعل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن اهتدى بهديه واستنى بسنته ودعا بدعوته إلى يوم الدين um, إن شاء الله تعالى we are continuing after a very long break uh, our تفسير of سورة البقرة I ask Allah سبحانه وتعالى to accept it from us and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us understanding Allahumma ya mu'allima Dawud alimna ya mufahimu Sulaiman fahimna We were still in the midst of the ayats that are related to qital, jihad and also hajj which we are starting now Some of the ayat related to hajj we've already covered uh, when we were going through the ayat in the Quran about hajj in the dhul hijjah period but because we are going through the Tafsir of Surah Al-Baqarah, we will be covering them again, inshaAllah ta'ala. We will be starting tonight um, from ayah number 193. I think we've covered this before, but it wasn't recorded, so we'll just go through it again, inshaAllah ta'ala. I don't think there's any harm in recapping. Um, I also want to remind myself and all of you, and advise myself and all of you, the importance of spending time with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala It is a book of guidance And it is uh, hidayah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And specifically in Surah Al-Baqarah This surah, uh, it really has everything in it From stories, to rulings, to remembering the hereafter And it is uh, something that we should spend time learning, reading and even memorizing I know that not every one of us here or everyone watching will become hufad, will become people that have memorized the whole Qur'an cover to cover. Although one should aim for that, you should aim to be a hafiz. It is not impossible. Each one of us here, regardless of your level, is able uh, of doing that. But let's say that, Qadr um, Allah, you will not, or you couldn't, or you're struggling to go all the way. Then perhaps you aim to memorize, for example, Surah Al-Baqarah. This is a, something that you can do. Uh, it consists of 46 pages. And uh, if, you, if you just dedicate, say, say in this year, or in the next year, I will dedicate myself to memorize Surah Al-Baqarah. This is something that is easily manageable. And there is barakah in doing something small, but with consistency. Um, I always give this example. Um, how many of us here have memorized Surah Al-Mulk? Perhaps not many. If someone to Surah Al-Mulk, right? Now Surah Al-Mulk consists of 30 ayat. If you dedicated one ayah a day, in a month you have memorized Surah Al-Mulk. Yet so many people, if you ask them, have you memorized it? No, they haven't. One ayah a day, in 30 days you've, you've memorized the Surah. That's one out of the way, and then you can build on that. So even doing one ayah a day, you'll get somewhere. I remember when we were studying in Jamia al-Islamiyah, um, we started from the uh, Arabic uh, school, 
and there was a brother I believe he was he was from the far east no he wasn't Chinese I think he was Russian I think he was Russian so he joined the university and some of us there had already memorized the whole Quran by then had memorized the whole Quran by then and he had two years so he gave himself the the uh, he gave himself the task of doing one page a day one page a day he wouldn't increase on it he wouldn't decrease on it he would do one page a day and we started from the first level second so it takes two years to finish the arabic school in those two years he memorized the whole quran and he had a better memory and a stronger hifz than those that have memorized the whole Quran before they even came and let it, you know, alhamdulillah, I can do muraja'ah whenever I can but he was serious, he was dedicated and he spent the time on learning this is the power of time so each one of us here if we use our time wisely, wallahi, we can do a lot we can do a lot it doesn't take much so I advise all of you and myself to uh, dedicate some time, so maybe make it a personal project of yours to n- memorize as, as long as you learn, especially now that we're going through the tafsir of it, so you memorize the surah and you learn its meaning and maybe then you go through it with your family right, this is something that I advise all of you inshallah ta'ala طيب, let's, let's start يَقُولُ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةً وَيَكُونَ الدِّينُ لِلَّهِ فَإِنْ انْتَهُوا فَلَا عُدْوَانَ here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We were, the, we were learning about the, uh, the ayat related to fighting And the serve nuzul or the reason of revelation was As it relates to the umrah That the sahaba were, and the prophet were going to go on After they were told After they were stopped by Quraysh and the Sahaba and the, by extension the Prophet and the Sahaba and the believers wanted to know the rules of engagement. Now that they're entering into enemy territory, but at the same time they are in a state of ihram. Not only are they in a state of ihram because they're going to do umrah. And what do I mean by a state of ihram? So once you uh, accept for the fact that you're doing umrah, then you are in a state of worship, right? Not too dissimilar to when we say Allah Akbar and we enter into the salah. Right? So when you're going for Umrah, you say, لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمْ عُمْرَةً And you're on your way on the bus or the train. This is the equivalent of when you say, Allah Akbar for the Salah. You've entered into the state of Ihram. And that comes with certain rules. Right? So not only that, they are entering, in, they are entering into the holy site, the sacred sanctuary, the Haram. Whereby you're not allowed to spill any blood. Not only that, they were in the month that was sacred. The month which you are not allowed to spill any blood. So there are all these limitations on them. Yet they are going behind enemy lines to Quraysh who are still occupying Mecca. So what are the rules of engagement? Do we fight back if they attack us? Are we allowed? Would that be a denigrating of the Holy Land? What are we going to be doing? So in the ayat, Allah was teaching the Sahaba, teaching us by extension the rules. And here in the previous ayat that we read in our last lesson, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Kill them wherever you encountered them and drive them out from where they drove you out. For persecution is more serious than killing. And Allah said, Do not fight them at the sacred mosque unless they fight you there. So what's the rule? Unless they start attacking, you don't attack them. Right? So they were told, Go in. Now, if I give you the background, the Sahaba and the Prophet, they went to do a umrah, a peaceful umrah. But then they were stopped by Quraysh 
and this angered the Sahaba. This, 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 they wanted to fulfill this act of worship, but they were stopped because the city was still. But then this is when they signed that treaty, that peace treaty. So then they were allowed to come back the following year. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, do not fight them. So do not engage them at the sacred mosque unless until they fight you. And if they do fight you, then kill them and fight them. And Allah said, this is what they, this disbelievers deserve. But if they stop, then Allah is the most forgiving and most merciful. So here they were being told, don't start an attack. But you better defend yourself if they do so. Even in the sacred ground, even in the sacred ground. Now, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَإِنِ انْتَهُوا And if they stop, فَإِنَ اللَّهَ غَفُورُ رَحِيمٌ Allah is the most merciful. Uh, and then Allah said, وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ Fight them. And it's very important. We mentioned this several times in our class. Allah uses the word, وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ Fight them. And the word, قَاتَلَ implies that you are being fought against. That you're being fought against. So this is a very far from the understanding of some people which is kill them. So we're never told to kill people indiscriminately, right? But we but and when in times of war, however, you are allowed to preemptively strike, which is different than killing indiscriminately, right? So in times of war you are allowed to engage in tactics and sometimes you attack before you are attacked. So you do strike preemptively, but that is in the context of being in a state of war. But if you're not in a state of war and you're not being fought against, then it is not your job, nor your duty, nor your religious duty to go and kill people that have other faiths. So it's important that we understand the context and the wording Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used. So Allah said, fight them until there is no fitna. Now what is fitna? The fitna can be translated and has been translated by the scholars as until there is no kufr and idolatry, until there is no persecution of the believers, because that's what they were doing, until there is no oppression. So they are criminals and they are guilty of many things, so fight them until those things end. And until the deen and the worship is devoted to God. So part of the objective, this is important to understand, part of the objectives of the da'wah of our messenger was to cleanse the Kaaba and Mecca from idol, idolatry. This was a objective that eventually he reached, right? But, uh, and especially, especially why was that so important? Why was it so important to cleanse the Haram from idolatry? Because it was built for Tawheed. We went through the ayat, I believe. If not, we're going to go to them, inshallah ta'ala. In awwal bayti mudi ali nati laladi bibakka. Indeed, the first house to be built in worship for Allah is the Kaaba, right? Which is why when the scholars discuss, was it Ibrahim that was built, that built the Kaaba first? This is actually uh, a view that is not very strong. Because if Ibrahim was the first to build the Kaaba, then was it the first? So this is why they say Adam alayhi salam was the first to, when he, as soon as he arrived on earth, he uh, built the Kaaba, but Ibrahim raised its foundations later on after, over time, when it, when it um, got ruined, he, he raised the foundations, which is why the wording is quite important. Allah doesn't say, bana Ibrahim al When Ibrahim built the Kaaba. Rather, Allah says, Ibrahim When Ibrahim was raising the foundations of the bait, Meaning the bait is already there, but he raised his foundations and he rebuilt it, which is the view that many scholars hold. In any case, so Allah is telling us, or telling that this was revealed upon the Sahaba, to fight until there is no fitna, and the deen is for, and worship is only dedicated to Allah. When if they stop, if they stop and cease hostilities, if Quraysh ceases hostilities, then what, what, what were they meant to do? 
they were meant to do this. Allah says, فَلَا عُدْوَانَ Then there is no further hostility إِلَّا عَلَى except against the aggressors. So, you will find in our religion the concept of fighting, the concept of defending, right? But also uh, peace treaties, also forgiving, also separating between people. Not everyone is an aggressor. Which is why when the Prophet conquered Mecca, he... He, he um, showed mercy to some, right? And this is important, right? He showed mercy to some, but for some of the enemies, he said, seize them and capture them, even if they are hanging by the, the cloth of the Kaaba. So, you, you see how the Prophet ﷺ used different means with different people, and this shows you the complete nature of the Prophet's approach. Mercy where mercy is best, justice, where justice is necessary. And this is why, and I gave this example several times, you have the extreme of an eye for an eye, that is heavily mentioned in the Old Testament. And then you have the other extreme of turn the other cheek, that is mentioned in the New Testament. And then you have that wasatiyah, that balanced approach in Islam, where an eye for an eye and that justice is still present, and the concept of forgiveness is also present. And this is why we always get the option, we can either choose for to retaliate if those to oppress us, and we choose to forgive, and to forgive is better. It shows you the complete nature of the message of Islam. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive our shortcomings. فَلَا uh, And there is no uh, hostility except on those who are the oppressors and the aggressors. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered another question in the following ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, a sacred month for a sacred month. What does that mean? A sacred month for a sacred month. This is referring to the fact that, okay, so, uh, it was a sacred month in which you tried to do Umrah last year that you were refused. And now this is a sacred month where you can do Umrah. It was a sacred month that they threatened you with attack. So now, meaning, um, don't... So what did I initially say that the Sahaba were worried about the rules of engagement? We are in a sacred month. What can we or can we not do? Allah is saying, well, they've already violated the sacred month before. So whatever violation that happens or whatever um, uh, happens now, it is almost like a tit for tat. And this concept exists in Islam. Where, for example, um, if they attack you, you can attack them. Right? If they didn't respect the hurma of the sacred months, then you don't have to take it. Right? Meaning, this is why Allah says, وَالْحُرُمَاتُ قِصَاصُ Allah says, Allah says a, a violation of sanctity calls for fair retribution. So, what is sacred? Give me an, give me an example of what is sacred. Our lives, are they not sacred? They are saying, can they be taken? No, they cannot be taken. But once you take a life, you forfeit the sanctity of your, your own life. Right? So, وَالْحُرَمَاتُ قِصَاصُ Right? Violation of a sanctity calls for fair retribution. If they violate the sanctity of the haram, then you are not guilty for violating its, its sanctity because you are defending yourself. If they attack you, attack them. If they commit violation, then defend yourself. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is communicating here. And then Allah said, فَمَنِ اعْتَدَى عَلَيْكُمْ فَمَنِ اعْتَدَى عَلَيْكُمْ And whoever shows you aggression, or commits aggression against you, فَاعْتَدُوا عَلَيْهِ Then attack them, and commit aggression against them, 
like they did you. Bimithli ma'atada alaykum in the same manner with the same aggression that they have done. Meaning, the key word there is the same. The same. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, So if anyone commits aggression against you, attack him or them as they have attacked you. But be mindful of God with taqullah. Here, you're learning another rule. What is that? That, what I mentioned earlier, that when you are attacked, you can attack like for like, right? But fear Allah. Why do you have to fear Allah? Because it is easy for you to go overboard. It is easy for you to forget yourself. It is easy for you to do more than you are allowed to. And this is quite interesting because um, this is why the ulama say that regular qisas, right, and retribution cannot be done by the regular folk. Why is vigilante justice not allowed in Islam? And there are many reasons why they're not allowed. One of them is because we need to have a system that uh, keeps everyone safe. And if everyone is going after everyone, that do cause, this can cause many problems in the community. But also, the, the, uh, the victims of the crime, the family uh, of the victim, they tend to be very angry. And when you're angry, you're not thinking about justice, you're thinking about revenge. Which is why it has been legislated in our deen that the authorities take it over. The authorities take over the, uh, the, the proceeding of justice because more often than not you will commit revenge and not justice and you will not fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why uh, we are not allowed to, for example, let's say your family member got killed or if someone got stolen from, we cannot just do what we want. We need to go through the courts. This is in every developed place and in every place that has a system of justice but also in Islam. Right, there's no, that concept doesn't exist. Where we differ, however, is this, right? Once, and I mentioned this, I believe, in earlier lessons, once the criminal is convicted, this is where Islam is superior than the laws that are present in many other lands and, and, and systems. Once the criminal is convicted, let's say this person killed that person, and then they've been, once it's been proven, the police, the justice, and they take over, they investigate. Finally, they say, okay, he is guilty. The options of justice, execution, a paying of a ransom or a blood money, or forgiveness, those options are given back to the family. Are given back to the family. So you have a semblance of control over the one who harmed you. But there is control in place, but this is very much different than how other systems work, where it is completely taken over by the state, Whereby you have no say in the matter. Maybe you did want to forgive him and gain that reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Maybe you did want the ransom money and you didn't care that they were executed. Maybe you're so hurt, you want justice and you want that person to be executed for killing uh, your brother or your father or your mother. But that option is completely removed from the person. They just have to watch the judge and the jury and they have no involvement in the process. Whereas in Islam, you are involved at the end. You're not involved in the, in the investigation, and you're not involved in the conviction, but you are involved towards the end. Once that person, okay, he is guilty, what should be done? The option is given back to the family. And some families will join, and I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this, that uh, uh, there was a case, it was, I think it was Sheikh uh, Sha'rawi, who forgave the killer of his brother. Right, and it was like in Egypt, it was mentioned and it was being watched, and the case was public, and he forgave. That's the option that he took, and Allah mentioned that in the Quran. Or sometimes the family wants wants the wants the money, right? They 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 want that, and that could potentially help them. 
and sometimes they want retribution. The superiority in Islam is that it took away the revenge aspect by letting the state and the authorities control that, but it kept the justice element by giving the options to the family, which is a very uh, uh, wasad, and this is something very balanced, wasad, fair, exemplary, of course, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, whoever transgresses upon you, then transgress upon them in the same manner that they have done, but be mindful of Allah. Being mindful of Allah will help you control yourself. Right? Be mind, being mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps you to control yourself and to not transgress. Right? وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّوْا أَنَّ اللَّهَ Indeed Allah is مَعَ الْمُتَّقِينَ With those who are mindful of Allah. So Allah will be with you if you are mindful and if you are careful and if you control yourself. And this is why we have actually um, an interesting masala that is brought up is uh, I think it is the Hanafi school that hold the opinion that if a crime happens, and we're talking, let's say the murder for example, that the, the, uh, depending on how the person, it doesn't matter how the person committed the murder, let's say they poisoned someone, or they shot someone, or they, or they, um, um, so these ayats are related to fiqh, so we sometimes get into details, I, right? Um, or they, uh, I don't know, uh, they uh, use a blunt instrument, and the, right, whatever, there are different means, right? Like the, the poet said, uh, he said, He said, there are many ways to die, but, uh, many ways for a person to meet their end, but regardless of whatever way you meet your end, in the end, death is one. Right? That is one. In the end, we all meet Allah, may Allah forgive our sins. So, um, does the executioner utilize the same method that the criminal did? Or is it always with the safe, with the sword, right? Um, and uh, the, uh, the, uh, the scholars of fiqh, they have a difference of opinion. And uh, you'll find various opinions, but uh, Imam Abu Hanifa and his students, they have an opinion that you don't necessarily use the same. So if it was poison, you don't use poison or something like that. But uh, it is one clean uh, and based on many hadiths of Prophet said that we should... Uh, not we should show Hassan excellence in everything that we do, even when it is retribution, and Allah knows best. Tayyib. Allah says, Fear Allah and know Allah is with the, those who fear Allah. The word taqwa we mention often is translated as fear, but that is a translation, that's a translation that leaves something to be desired. Taqwa it is to, um, taqwa it is to protect yourself. It comes from wiqaya, prevention. Waqa is to prevent and to protect, right? Right? This is, um, um, why even have you guys heard of the word taqiyya taqiyya uh, certain groups or sects they hide their beliefs taqiyyatan they are hiding it to protect themselves right so that's the protection and prevention it revolves around these two terms right so when you're having taqwa you are protecting yourself from Allah's anger from the hellfire you are protecting yourself from sin and you are being mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala conscious so it is a method of protection right this is why when Allah says, for example, in Surah Al-Baqarah in the beginning, Ya ayyuhal nas, O mankind, u'budu rabbakum, worship your Lord, alladhi khalaqahu has created you, walladhina min qablikum and those that came before you, uh, why should you worship your Lord? La'allakum tattaqoon, so that you may be protected, so that you may have, find salvation and safety. That's one tafsir. Or la'allakum tattaqoon, so that you may attain taqwa, right? And this is, I want you to remember this, that the meanings of taqwa, because it's going to come up in a bit. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse, or ayah number 195, وَأَنْفِقُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And spend in the way of Allah. 
spend in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَ And do not throw yourselves into destruction or do not contribute to your own destruction This is a very interesting ayah Most of the time this ayah is used as an evidence for not harming yourself Right? Why, are, why is it not allowed to abuse drugs? Or because Allah said do not throw yourself into destruction Right? In, in, into harm's way Why is suicide not allowed in Islam? Because Allah said do not throw yourself into destruction or in harm's way Etc, etc But what's interesting is This ayah When Allah says do not throw yourself into destruction Do not contribute to your own destruction Those are fine what we mentioned But it's actually talking about Look what Allah says Allah said spend in the way of Allah And do not contribute to your own destruction Do not throw yourself in harm's way By not spending in the way of Allah Right? So, in other words, what are some of the ways, if someone were to list some of the ways you can destroy yourself, you would list many things, right? Most likely what would not come to your mind is, well, not spending in the way of Allah. But here Allah is saying, spend in the way of Allah and do not cause your own destruction by not doing that. Number one. The other thing that the ulama say is, what are some of the things that causes your own destruction? They say, number one, it is not fulfilling the commandments of our Creator. So, if you're not praying, you are guilty of this. You are throwing yourself in destruction. If you're being abusive to people and to your parents, you are throwing yourself into destruction. And yes, if you are using harmful substances, if you are drinking, if you are contributing to the societal harm, if you are, if you are, you're all, these are all things that are causing destruction. But subhanAllah, when Allah, because everything Allah says is connected. How an ayah begins? How an ayah ends? So here Allah said, وَأَنْفِقُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ In fact, the scholars even said, because the previous ayats were talking about fighting and preparation for war and defending yourself, all of this, that this ayah was actually saying, spend in the cause of Allah by equipping yourselves and equipping the army and do not throw yourself into destruction. So do you find interesting tafsir? One of them is, if you don't equip yourself properly, your enemy will defeat you and thus you have thrown yourself into destruction. Or if you not equip if yourself and spend in it and keep your money, you're sinful, thus you have thrown yourself into destruction. Or if you not, don't spend the obligatory spending that is upon you, Allah may punish you for that and thus you have thrown yourself into destruction. SubhanAllah, these ayats, they can be explained in so many different ways. One of the miracles that you'll find in the Quran is that just one ayah, you can keep reading it and gain something else out of it. But the scholars say the khulasa is, what does it mean to throw yourself into destruction? It is tarkul ma'murat wa fi'lul manhiyat. It is to do the prohibit, to do that which is prohibited and to leave off that which has been commanded. Right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from destruction. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, wa ahsinu. Those of you that are following me along with the mushaf, do you see, is anyone following me along with the mushaf, you'll see three dots. You see three dots on top of tahluka and three dots on top of ahsinu. That means you either pause in one of them, but not both. So you can either read this as, وَأَنْفِقُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَةِ And then you say, وَأَحْسِنُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Or you stop at وَأَحْسِنُوا and you say, وَأَنْفِقُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَةِ وَأَحْسِنُوا and then you say, Inna Allah yuhibbul muhsinin. So you can either pause there or there. But not both. What you can't do is pause on each. And you shouldn't just continue either. Tayyib.
Now that we have finished speaking about one act of worship, because the engagement in battle and the qital is an act of worship, and we mentioned the, its rulings in our previous lessons, all of it, now we enter into another act of worship, Hajj and Umrah. Hajj and Umrah. And in the end, Wallahi, whether you are praying or you are walking uh, in the haram doing tawaf or you are uh, engaging the enemy or you are in the end of the day it's all an act of worship or you are sitting in the masjid using Quran regardless of what you are doing there is one common thread you're serving Allah you're serving Allah that's a common thread right that you also have to keep in mind يَقُولُ الله عز وجل الله سبحانه وتعالى This is a very long ayah by the way Allah says وَأَتِمُّ الْحَجَّ وَالْعُمْرَةَ لِلَّهِ Allah سبحانه وتعالى said Complete the hajj and the umrah For the sake of Allah Already here you learn a ruling And this is very interesting And this is specific to hajj and umrah There, there is no such thing As a voluntary hajj and umrah It's quite interesting There is no such thing as a voluntary hajj and umrah. You're saying, Shaykh, what do you mean? If someone did hajj once, the second and the third and the fourth are voluntary. But there is no such thing as a voluntary... What does that mean? It means, it might be voluntary for you before you decide. You can either go or not go because you've done your hajj. But the moment you say, Allahumma hajjan, and, you, and the biqat, you can't say, you know what, I changed my mind, I'll just stay in Mecca and relax. You can't say that. So it's one of those acts of worship that once you commit, you cannot get out of. Right? So hajj and umrah, once you commit to it, you make the intention, you get to the, to the border, that's it. You must complete it. Right? What's the evidence for that? وَأَتِمُّ Complete the Hajj and the Umrah for the sake of Allah. Also, Hajj and Umrah are both obligatory. Hajj and Umrah are both, it's not only Hajj is obligatory, they are both wajib. There is some minor khilaf, but according to the majority of scholars, and clear evidence is, they are both an obligation. Alhamdulillah, most people, when they travel for Hajj, they also do an Umrah anyway. So when people, most people they go to Hajj, they do an Umrah within that Hajj anyway. So they do. But if let's say someone didn't, there is still an Umrah that you must do for Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Allah says, وَأَتِمُّ الْحَجَّ وَالْعُمْرَةَ لِلَّهِ Complete the pilgrimage, Hajj and Umrah for the sake of Allah. طيب. فَإِنْ أُحْصِرْتُمْ فَمَسْتَيْسَرَ مِنَ الْهَدِي if you are prevented, then whatever offering you can afford, sacrifice it. Here you learn another ruling as it relates to Hajj and Umrah. You're not always guaranteed you're going to finish your Hajj and Umrah. Rasulullah and the Sahaba, they made the intention, they made intention to commit an Umrah, and they were stopped by Quraysh. And they were told to go back. And they couldn't continue. After committing, they couldn't continue. So what's the rule? If you... Uh, commit to the Hajj and the Umrah And then something prevents you What are some things that can prevent you? Illness can prevent you um, Some security reason Can prevent you A plague can prevent you I remember We were meant to leave here on the 4th of March 2020 For an Umrah The 2nd of March So maybe they closed their borders that's two days before you were supposed to leave. But let's say, let's say they closed the border on the 4th. While we, uh, and then let's say we were on the plane and they say, make your intention. And we made our intention. And then when we land, they realize, you know what? No hajj or no umrah. We would be in a very difficult situation because we've committed and now we can't. This is known as ihsar. Ihsar is when you 
are prevented from fulfilling your Hajj and Umrah. What are your options? These are your following options. If you are prevented from your Hajj or your Umrah after having committed, then Allah says, فَإِنْ أُحْسِرْتُمْ If you are prevented, then you must sacrifice from اسْتَيْسَرَ مِنَ الْهَدِي So, this is what you do. You, you sacrifice for the sake of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, uh, so this is what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa did. This is what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa did. What did he do? During the uh, Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when Quraysh uh, prevented them, and the Sahaba, they were carrying all their goats and their camels. They wanted to go and see the Kaaba, do the acts of worship. And they, now all of a sudden they can't. They're wearing their ihrams, they're ready to go. And the Prophet said, okay, Umrah is cancelled, basically. The Prophet told him, alright, everyone, shave your head, sacrifice your animals, right? And you, you sacrifice first, then you shave, by the way. Um, and uh, the Sahaba didn't do it. They didn't do it. They didn't immediately listen to the Prophet And there are many reasons that the scholars cite. For example, they, um, they, uh, they were hoping that maybe something would change. They were like, maybe he will, he will uh, let us. Maybe this, we, so they, were, they didn't do it. And the Prophet became visibly upset at them. And he went into his home and he did shura with his wife, Umm Salama. And Umm Salama said to him, Ya Rasulullah, perhaps it would be better if you just go outside, call the, the barber, the shaver. I said, bah. And uh, we have a barber in our midst, Ali. Right. Interesting enough, Ali actually, he, he did my uh, haircut uh, when we were in Mecca together. Warakallahu uh, um, So, uh, he, um, then he, that's what he did, Rasulullah He called and then the Prophet shaved his head and sacrificed his hadi. His, uh, and then the Sahaba did follow suit immediately, right? And sometimes leading by example is better. And that advice came from our mother, Umm Salama, showing you our messenger was one that would consult his companions and uh, none more so than his wives. May Allah SWT be pleased with all of them. Allah says, uh, so if you are prevented, then whatever hadith, uh, whatever sacrifice that, is, that you can afford, so that is a goat is enough. A goat is enough. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And then do not shave your heads So among the things that you're not allowed to do Is to shave your head uh, Shaving your head Cutting any hair And even and the scholars add the nails as well It's not allowed once you enter into the state of ihram Right So um, It's very strict To the point where scholars say that if you're the kind of person that when they, you comb your hair, your hair falls, don't comb your hair, right? Now, our sharia is practical. It, it tells you to do things, but it's very practical. Pray standing. If you can't, pray seated. So there's a practicality uh, within our deen. So the rule is that we do not touch our hair, our nails, we don't perfume our body. There's many things that we do not do, Right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, until you, until your hadi, your, your sacrifice reaches its designated place, meaning the day of Nahar, the day of Eid. When you do your sacrifice, because what happens on the day of Eid, when they do the sacrifice, they do the tawaf and everything, and then you cut your hair, and then you are free to roam about and wear clothes and cut your hair and all of that stuff, right? So do not cut your hair. Until your hadith, your sacrifice, reaches its designated place and time. Place and time. Mahilla. 
Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا If one of you is ill, if you're sick, أَوْ بِهِ أَذَنْ مِنْ رَأْسِهِ or has an ailment on his head, then you are allowed to shave. You are allowed to trim your hair. So there was, for example, there was one company, he was suffering from lice. He came to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet said, shave your head, but you have to make a sacrifice. There's a penalty. There is a penalty. Right? So you are allowed, but you substitute something. Right? So Allah said, فَفِدْيَةٌ There is a compensation. And what is that compensation? Means siyamin, you either fast for three days, or sadaqatin, or you give charity, you feed six people, or nusukin, or you sacrifice. So these are all optional. Any one of these three is allowed. Any one of these three. So in other words, what is the ruling if you're doing hajj and you violate one of these rules, right? You cut your hair or you, um, or any of the other rules that we're not allowed to do, then there is a penalty of fasting, charity, or sacrifice, Right? This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. And here you're learning the fiqh, right? And this is very interesting. I want to make a side point here. Have you guys, you must have heard or you hear sometimes that we take our fiqh from the hadith. Right? Right? We take our fiqh from the hadith, right? And uh, not only do we take it from the hadith of the Prophet we also take it from the Quran. And there are about 500 plus ayat in the Quran that have Islamic rulings in them. So it's not enough that you go through a hadith book You will not learn the fiqh You'll be missing a lot of, 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 of fiqh If you don't go through the tafsir At the very least through the tafsir of the rulings And some scholars what they've done was They extracted all of the verses in the Quran The ayat in the Quran that have to do with halal and haram And they created separate volumes and they, with, with the tafsir So you can go through those So chapter of purification All the ayat related to purification Chapter of salah All the ayat related to salah And that's really important It's part of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of our understanding Because certain things The evidence of it is in the Quran Because when someone says Akhi, what's the ruling of this? Oh, this is this Akhi, is there hadith for it? Maybe there's no hadith for it, but there's an ayah for it, right? There's an ayah in the Quran for it. And it's important that we understand that there is more evidences than just uh, a, a hadith, right? Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so this ayah, all of it is fiqh. All of it is fiqh. Tayyib. Yaqul Allah azza wa jal, fafidyatun min siyamin awsadaqat awnusuk. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, fa'imida amintum, faman tamatta'a bil'umrat ilal hajji, famastay sara minal hadi. And when you are in safety, Anyone wishing to take a break between the minor pilgrimage or the major must take whatever offering he can afford. So here, Allah is saying, let's say there is no ihsar, let's say there is no prevention, let's say you can do your hajj and your umrah, then there is three ways you can do hajj. There is three ways you can do hajj, right? There is ifrad, where you do only a hajj. There is tamattu', where you do a umrah first, then a hajj. And there is Qiran where you combine Hajj and Umrah. Those are the three ways of doing it. Now, most people they do Tamattu'ah. Most group, Hajj groups when they go, they do Tamattu'ah. What's Tamattu'ah? They go early before Hajj, before hajj starts. So Hajj starts on the 8th of Dhul Hijjah. Day 1 of Hajj is basically the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, the Yawm Tarwiyah. The 9th is Yawm Arafah, the 10th is Yawm Nahar when we have Eid, and then you have the three days of Tashriq. Those are six days of Hajj. So, most people, they don't arrive exactly on the 8th or the 9th even. They arrive way before. And when they arrive, they tend to have the intention of doing an Umrah first. They do their Umrah, the Dawaf, the Sa'i, uh, they trim their heads, 
And then they relax in their hotels, they stay in Mecca and they wait for Hajj to start. So Umrah first, a bit of a break, then they enter into Hajj, right? This format is called Tamattu'ah. It's mentioned in the ayah. فَمَنْ تَمَتَّعَ Whoever does Tamattu'ah, meaning whoever that... Uh, the word tamattu' comes from enjoyment and meaning the one that uh, takes the option of tamattu' of enjoying umrah and hajj together right then upon that person is a hadi they must sacrifice so anyone that goes to hajj does a umrah before the hajj upon him is a sacrifice that sacrifice is called hadi right that can be a sheep or a goat for every individual. Or seven people will share in a cow or a camel. Everyone does it. Usually you just pay the money. There's actually a website that you can do it in. You just go and they do it on your behalf. It's nice to kind of see it being done for you, but sometimes those options are not available. So, um, who among the three types of hajj must do a sacrifice? Anyone that is enjoying a umrah during their hajj because why are you sacrificing the ulama say because you are enjoying an extra act of worship that normally you would have to have traveled for so what does how does it normally work you travel from your home you go to mecca you do a umrah you go back home it's hajj time you travel from your home you do a hajj you go back so every time you get the honor to do the tawaf the honor to visit Allah's house it involves a full trip you this time got to do two in one go you got to do an umrah and a hajj when, when it was meant to be every trip you do one that's why the scholars, some scholars say it is better this is why one of the ulama they don't like it when people go for umrah and this is an interesting question right when we go for umrah why is it that we don't go to umrah um, you know, cut our hair, go to a hotel, take a break, six hours, relax, get out, go to the border, do another umrah, you know, relax a little bit. Get, you can, I'm staying there for, for, for 15 days, two weeks, I can get in seven, eight umrahs, why not? Because that's not how you honor the bait of Allah. It's meant to be one umrah, one pilgrimage per trip. Now, those that enjoy to do a do, do, normal hajj, the way we do it is we do an umrah first, is this allowed? Yes, it's allowed. But what's connected to it? If you do that, you must do the sacrifice. That's why we basically... This is the why behind the sacrifice that we always do. So, based on that, of the three, which one has no sacrifice? The one where you just do a hajj. The one where you just do a hajj. So if a person goes there, just does a hajj, then there's no sacrifice that they need to do. So, not everyone can afford to sacrifice. Let's say you can't afford it, but you couldn't find a goat or anything to sacrifice. What are your options? Allah says, The person who does who puts Hajj and Umrah together, by the way, this is perfectly fine, it's perfectly allowed, right? Whoever does that, they must sacrifice. If they cannot sacrifice for whatever reason, they fast three days during Hajj period. and seven when they go back. Seven when they go back. Allah said, Tilka, those numbers are ten kamila. That's a complete ten. 
Some of the scholars said, why would Allah say he should fast for three days doing hajj, seven days on his return, making ten days in all? Why would Allah say making ten days? We can all count three and seven makes ten. What's the significance of Allah telling us it's ten? And the scholars, they say there's an interesting faith in Allah telling us. Because if Allah said three during hajj, seven at home, it's some, something everyone can figure out, right? So why did Allah say that's a ten that is complete? Because the wording of it is... Um, three days during Hajj and three uh, seven when you return. But the word wa in the Arab language can sometimes mean or, which means it can be quite confusing. It could be three days during Hajj or seven days at home. So to so that that understanding. Is prevented Allah emphasized That's a complete 10 Does that make sense? There is not a letter in the Quran Except it has a purpose for being in there Right? And the ulama When they decipher uh, The Quran And they grammatically Linguistically Balagha wise It's eloquence It's rulings Every letter Every word There's a great wisdom behind it Why wouldn't it be When it is the divine word Of our creator and Master Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, three days during Hajj and seven when you, get, when you return. Some of the ulama, and this is fiqh for you, right? They said, what if you don't return? What if you decide, you know what, I like it in Saudi, I'm going to stay there. Do you then not fast the seven? Do you just fast it there? Are you even allowed to fast it there? Or must you do it when you return home? The Shafi'i are very strict on this. They say you must do it when you return. You must do it when you return Because Allah said so in the Quran And seven when you return home So if you're staying in Mecca for long Don't do the fasting Once you return home then do it And they say well what if you choose uh, I don't know how you can choose now uh, With all the rulings And uh, it's quite difficult to just stay in Mecca But people do, people do it People sometimes they, they do this right So what would be the ruling there Scholars say uh, or the, the, Some of the ulama who are quite strict on it They say you wait a similar period that it would take you to travel home. You eight, so you don't immediately do your seven fasts. You do your three, and then you wait however long it would take you to get back home, and then you start your seven. That's if you're not going to leave, and Allah knows best. In any case, three in the in during Hajj and seven when we return. This makes a complete ten. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala asharatun kamila. Who gets to do this rule? ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ أَهْلُهُ حَاضِرِ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said This applies to those whose household is not near the sacred mosque Who does these rules apply to? Those whose household are not near So, those that are doing tamattu' Who are they? That are combining Umrah and Hajj Who are the people that are coming from far? Who are those that then If they can't They fast It's all related to These rules are related to who? Those that come from far Not from the people That are near The sacred household Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said Allah." Again Allah reminds us And keeps reminding us Be mindful of Allah Have taqwa Protect yourself Why? Wa'lamu And know Allah said Know Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is stern in his punishment. May Allah protect us and forgive us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues. The pilgrimage, the hajj, 
Ashurun ma'lumat takes place during prescribed months. So the months of Hajj are known. They are two months and ten days. They're known as the months of Hajj. Two months and ten days. And those are um, Shawal, Dhul Qa'da, and the ten days of Dhul Hijjah. Right, the ten days of Dhul Hijjah. So Allah said, those are the pres- uh, as opposed to the Umrah, which is what? Throughout the year. You can do Umrah any time during the year. But Hajj is only in these specific times. Um, طيب. Then Allah subhanahu wa taala said, "فَمَنْ فَرَضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجَّةَ." Right. Allah subhanahu wa taala said, "Whoever uh, obligates upon himself to commit to Hajj in these months, whoever obligates himself to commit Hajj or Umrah in these months, then these are the three things that you should not do." And if you avoid these three things, if you avoid these three things, and the money you used for hajj was halal, then you have fulfilled the conditions for an accepted hajj. Then you have fulfilled the conditions for an accepted hajj. And if you give an accepted hajj, then your reward, like the Prophet said, it has no reward except Jannah. May Allah accept our hajj. What is the first one? فَلَا رَفَثَةً no indecent speech. Rafath has more to do with the type of speech that goes between a man and his spouse. Right? So you do not engage in that type of talk whatsoever during Hajj. Right? Fala Rafatha. Wala Fusuka and no misbehavior or sin. What is misbehavior and sin in Hajj? There are two types. A sin that would have been a sin everywhere. Lying, cheating, being deceitful, harming, oppressing. Any sin that would be a sin elsewhere. And then there are things that you're not allowed to do in Hajj specifically. Such as putting perfume on. Such as putting clothing that are meant to affect the body. So, such as covering your head. If you're a, uh, a man, you're not allowed to cover your head on the, with the ihram. Right? So, you can't do any of those. Now... If you do them, there is the penalty and everything. But you can't do them. Imagine someone on purpose puts on a shirt or boxers, right? Or That would be just as sinful as if you did any other sin. So when Allah says, don't do any fusuq, it means don't do any sin that normally would be haram. And don't commit any violation of the things that are haram right now during hajj. Both. Does that make sense? Wala jidal. The first two are somewhat easy to avoid. And most of the time, people that go to Hajj, they can't tend to avoid these two. Right? Anyone, they understand these days are sacred, so uh, t- stay away from any speech that is inappropriate, and also stay away from sin, the two types that we mentioned. But then Allah said, Wala jidala, no argumentation. No argumentation. So, subhanAllah, those six days that you're in Hajj, your reward... Is contingent on you avoiding argumentation. Right? Subhanallah. So, if you ever go to Hajj, don't argue with anyone. Right? Walk away. Have patience. Forgive. Let go. Extremely important. Don't waste your trip. Right? Don't waste your trip. This is your only time that you may. Allah has given you the honor. You spend so much money to get there. It's getting more expensive every time now. So, لا جدال ولا جدال and no argumentation right Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said or quarreling for anyone undertaking the hajj 
Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ يَعْلَمْهُ اللَّهِ Whatever good you do, Allah is aware of it. You know, and I mention this always, and it's important, because we need to fix the way we think about Allah. Whenever we say, أَخِي Allah is watching you, أَخِي Allah knows what you're doing, it tends to be, stay away from sin, Allah is watching you. But it should also be, be grateful, Allah sees you learning. Be happy, Allah sees you praying. Allah sees you in need of Him. So not only does Allah see, when we say Allah sees you, Allah knows. Allah knows what's in your heart. If you're sincere, Allah knows it. Right? If you truly love Allah, Allah sees it and knows it. If you really want to learn your religion, Allah, if you're regretful for that sin that you've done, Allah sees it and knows it. So when we think about the infinite knowledge of Allah, Allah sees everything, knows everything, is watching over us. It should not only take you to the be scared, be afraid. Definitely you should be afraid. But you should also be hopeful and we need to keep the balance always. وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ And whatever good that you do in Hajj, outside of Hajj, planning for Hajj, anything else, يَعْلَمُهُ Allah, Allah knows it and is well aware of it. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَتَزَوَّدُوا Provide well for yourselves. It is among the conditions of Hajj and Umrah. That when you are, that for it to be obligatory upon you, you must be able to provide for yourself during your trip and during your stay. Right? And the best are those that take enough provisions for themselves so that they don't have to beg others and take enough provisions for others as well so that they can give and help others as well. This is why the Prophet ﷺ praised the tribe of Al-Ash'ari. Al-Ash'ari, the, the tribe, he praised them for when they would come for Hajj, they would put all of their sustenance together and share it and take care of each other. The last thing you want is someone to go there broke and then he's asking others. This is not something that is advised in Islam. Provide well for yourselves, right? This means take enough pocket money, right? Although we overdo it, right? It's uh, some of our sisters and mashallah, they added shopping as one of the uh, pillars of Umrah. They, you must do a lot of shopping, right? Uh, <laughs> Subhanallah. Um, it's, it's, it's fine. There's not, no harm in it. In fact, it is encouraged, right? It is encouraged. Uh, we'll, next week, we'll discuss the ayat where Allah mentions tijara. In Hajj, right? That among the things, the benefit of Hajj is commerce and, 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 and tijara. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, here's an interesting guy. Remember what I said to you about taqwa? What did taqwa mean? To, what? To protect yourself, but also taqwa, our consciousness of Allah, meaning because we, we protect ourselves from the anger of Allah by doing the righteous deeds, right? We mentioned the meaning of taqwa several times in our classes. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَتَزَوَّدُوا Provide well for yourselves. فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ For indeed the best provision is a taqwa to be mindful of Allah. So, the best provision you can take for hajj is a lot of fear, a lot of taqwa. Right? right? Get enough pocket money, take care of yourself, get a nice hotel, do all of that stuff. But whatever you're taking with you, there's nothing more valuable than what? Than taqwa. Being mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So you can do your ibadah well But some of the ulama They said that's not what I means Rather what it means is Provide well for yourselves Indeed the best provision is that Which protects you the most Protects you from hunger Protects you from not having shelter Protects you from asking people So the word taqwa is its linguistic meaning here 
provide for yourselves and the best provision is the one that gives you taqwa protection from a linguistic point of view meaning you it takes care of you right again this is the beast of the quran you can read and ibn uthaymin rahmatullah i learned from him um i didn't uh, when i was studying he wasn't alive so when i say i learned from him it means probably from an audio right um this reminds me uh, one of our sheikhs sheikh abdazaq al-badr rahmatullah alayhi the son of sheikh al-mahsin al-abad the great muhaddith of medina um, he one time was teaching as a class and he mentioned a you know, narration and this narration was if i don't mistake it was anasu niyamun fa idha matu intabahu or something along those lines people are asleep and when they die they wake up it's a powerful statement people are asleep and when they die, they wake up. And the Sheikh mentioned that this narration is in a very obscure book. And he mentioned its reference. Then he said, don't assume I found it by scouring the libraries, libraries and doing a lot of research. Rather, I just used Maktab uh, al-Shamila, which is an, it's an online method of, of, of looking. It's a, it's a search engine almost. For, he, he mentioned this, right? It really it made me think he didn't have to mention it, but he did, right? So, uh, it's, uh, so when I say I heard from Sheikh Ibn Uthameen, it's probably on YouTube or an audio or something like this. Uh, but he was talking about, or maybe I read in one of his books, he said, every eye in the Quran that you can extract several meanings, it is not one of those meanings, it's all of those meanings. So whenever you read an ayah, and oh, you read it this way, it means this, or you read it this way, it means that. He said, unless they're contradictory, if they're contradictory, then you, it's one of them is right. But if they're complementary, if it's, then you say it's all of the above, and that's part of the miraculous nature of the Quran, that in one sentence you're learning several things. Does that make sense? So when you read the ayah, do seek provision, provide provision for yourself well, and the best provision is the, is the fear of Allah and mindfulness of Allah, and the best provision is also the one that protects you the most, it's both. It's both, and that is part of the miraculous nature of the Qur'an. And then Allah said, وَاتَّقُونِي Be mindful of me, يَا الْبَابِ O you who have understanding. O you who have understanding. The Qur'an is speaking to those that have understanding. Those that ponder. Those that think. And this is a call for all of us to think more, ponder more, be more mindful. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, shower us with His mercy. And may Allah make us among those that constantly have taqwa. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also give us the ability to visit His house. I conclude here today, inshallah ta'ala. We'll continue next week onwards. Hada wa akhir da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Barakallah This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.